0: The story goes of a um, a managing director. Uh, He's recently been appointed and um, he's very nervous. And when he comes into the the new office, he finds in front of him three envelopes from the previous managing director, the outgoing managing director. He thinks, well, that's wonderful. He's left me some advice, some help. There's a note. And he picks up the note and, and the note says this, there will be difficult days. When you come to them, open up one of these envelopes and you'll get some advice. I think that's wonderful. So he, he takes the three envelopes and he puts them in a drawer. Within two weeks, the company's in trouble. People are nervous. It's a new, new managing director. What's going to happen? And so, uh, and so the shareholders get a bit upset. The share price starts to drop. He thinks, I know. I've got my three envelopes. So he goes to the drawer opens the drawer and picks out the first envelope opens it up in it just three words blame your predecessor (laughs) Okay. he takes the advice he calls a press conference and he says at the press conference you see I inherited a very difficult situation I will be making a lot of changes in order to to, to turn the company around. And of course, the shareholders are very pleased. This is a new direction. He's a dynamic man. The company picks up and everything goes well for a couple of years. But then again, problems arise, difficult times. But he remembers, I have a second envelope. So he opens the drawer and finds the second envelope. He opens it up, just one word, reorganize. Ah, right. Change everything around. So again, calls a press conference. Right, what we're going to do is change everything. And he moves people around and he does all sorts of things. And the shareholders say, oh, it's all very dynamic. Wonderful, wonderful. Share price goes up again. However, within a year or so, difficult times again. Share price falling. What is he to do? But that's all right. There's a third envelope. He goes to the drawer and he opens up the third envelope. To his dismay, he finds three words. Prepare three envelopes. (laughs) What do you do when times get difficult? What do you do in those difficult days? How do you cope with that? Because that is the situation that this church here that Timothy is writing to, uh, that Paul is writing to, where Timothy is in Ephesus, That's the situation they have. And and what I want to do is explain to you why I'm looking at this particular passage. You see, my church in Caterham is about to go through difficult days. Um, I've been going to that church for for 15 years, since I moved into the area. The minister there has been there for 35 years. He retires next year. I've been through interregnums, where you change from one minister to another, in other churches. But many in that church will have never been in a situation without a minister. And quite frankly, they're nervous. And they're concerned. We face difficult days. And so what we've been doing in our church is we've been looking at passages that talk about, firstly, the elders, the deacons, and the leadership But also we have been looking at passages that talk about the role of the church. That what the the whole church, the congregation, not just the leadership, all of us. How are we meant to be acting as a church and what are we meant to be doing? And so it's in light of that that we've been looking at this passage. Because it is a passage that goes into the role of the church. It's interesting, so let's just go through what's been going on in, in this letter. Paul writes to Timothy. Timothy is in Ephesus. Okay, uh, And Paul has sent him there for a particular problem. And he, he spends kind of chapter 1 kind of setting out what's going on and kind of setting the scene. Chapter 2, you'll find that, that Paul actually starts to talk about the congregation there. And he says, frankly, you're pretty poor. He says, your worship is awful. Okay, And he starts to give instruction to the churches there. And talk about how they're to, to actually do their worship. In chapter 3, he turns around and says, okay, the leadership let's talk about the leadership and he starts to talk about the leadership in that church and what they need to be doing and as he gets to the close of chapter three he actually starts to turn around again to the congregation and say okay but there is a duty upon you and we're going to come back to that and then he comes into chapter four and he says okay now let's talk about the teaching because quite frankly it's not helpful The teaching in this church has got massive problems. We know that. If you go right back to the beginning in chapter 1, Paul writing to Timothy says, As I urged you, this is verse 3, When I went into Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus, so that you may command certain men not to teach false doctrines any longer. This church has got a big problem because people are standing up and saying things, and they are not the gospel. They are not teaching God's word correctly. And you can see that in a couple of the examples that Paul gives here when he's writing to Timothy. He says, look, these people who are standing up, they're forbidding people to marry. They're ordering them to abstain from certain foods. It's not clear quite what the differences are. It could be that this is simply a Jews and Gentiles thing. We know that happened in some of the early churches where they're simply saying, Jews and Gentiles, you shouldn't marry. It could be something, and that would explain maybe the food thing. Maybe they're saying if you become a Christian, you shouldn't eat certain foods. It could be actually. It's about um, the fact that in the early church, some people would hold up and say, "Well, everything spiritual is wonderful. If it's spirit, it's pure. If it's material, if it's physical, then it's wrong." And it may be that people were saying, "Okay, look, marriage—it's very physical. It's a relationship here on earth." Food is something your body craves and desires. These are wrong things. It's material and therefore it's wrong. Paul says, there are people standing up preaching and teaching. And what they're saying is incorrect. They are wrong. So first of all, he addresses Timothy. Because you know what? Timothy must have been thinking that he is the worst person in the world now. Timothy, this is your church. People are standing up and preaching from the front, taking Bible studies maybe, and they're wrong. Paul says, number one, expect this. This was said that it would happen. Jesus talks about it back in Mark. Mark chapter 13, verse 22. Jesus says, for false Christs and false prophets will appear, perform signs and miracles to deceive the elect. Paul says to Timothy, this was expected. The Spirit clearly says, in latter times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. It's interesting, isn't it, When, when Paul talks about latter times? When are latter times? The Bible does this wonderful thing about simply making divisions and going, it's this or it's that. It's Old Testament, it's New Testament. Okay? Uh, you're a Jew or a Gentile. Okay? What it does with time is equally simple. The Bible simply divides it down and says, okay, it's either before Christ came or after Christ came. Do you know what the next thing in the calendar in heaven is? There's a big. To-do list up in heaven, a big calendar. This is what's coming up. Do you know the next thing on that list? Christ's return when he comes back. That's the next big event in heaven. So therefore, anything that happens from Christ's death and resurrection to when he returns is the latter days. So Paul, although he is only 30 years probably after Christ's death and resurrection here, lives in the latter times. And we live in the same times as well. And Paul says, look, these people will stand up and and they they will speak rubbish. And they are hypocrites. They know it's rubbish. They know it's wrong. This thing about marriage, he says, later on in 2 Timothy, Paul writes about these same kind of people. He says, they worm their way into women's houses talks about leaders and preachers who kind of use their speaking ability and they worm their way into, into women's houses he says they're hypocrites they preach and say you shouldn't get married and yet they do things like that he says they, they turn around at the front and say you shouldn't be eating certain foods and yet we know if you look back on chapter 3 one of the things it says when you appoint your elders make sure that your elders don't get drunk why would you write that It's like having a job advert in the paper that says, we're looking for a new office manager, preferably one who doesn't beat up the staff physically in the office. And you think, what kind of office is that? The suggestion straight away is that's what's going on. So when Paul says to Timothy, appoint elders who don't drink too much and don't get drunk, he's effectively saying that's what's going on. So you have leaders who are saying, don't eat that food, but it's all right. To consume way too much alcohol. They're hypocrites. And he says, do you know what? Their preaching is so bad, they are doing the devil's work for him. He says, their consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. Now when you originally look at that, you think of that as being kind of like it's burnt out the conscience. There is no conscience there. But Paul says they're hypocrites. And a hypocrite means you know what's right, but you do it anyway. You do the wrong thing knowing what is right. That's a hypocrite. So if their consciences have been seared, in fact, the word that Paul uses is more like branding, where you go and you take a hot iron and you go, and it puts a brand in and says, you belong to me. And Paul is effectively saying the preaching is so bad in this church that instead of pulling people towards God, instead of making sure that people understand the gospel, the preaching and teaching in that church is so bad that it's effectively pushing people the other direction. And then Paul turns around to Timothy and says, okay, Timothy, what are you going to do about it? Verse 6. If you point these things out to the brothers, you will be a good minister of Christ Jesus, brought up in the truths of the faith. and of the good teaching you followed. Okay, Timothy, now do something about it. Timothy, you have a role to play. You are to ensure that the preaching isn't like that, that the teaching is correct. Now, here's the big question. Is that only Timothy? Look in your Bibles. At the beginning of this chapter, you will see a big number four. That wasn't there when Paul wrote this letter. Paul didn't get to this stage in the letter, have a little break, and then come back and go, let's start a new chapter, put a four at the beginning. Don't get me wrong, chapters are brilliant. Trying to read the Bible without having chapters would be a complete nightmare of trying to get everybody to the same place at the same time. But the chapters that are put in there were put in afterwards. And the danger comes is that you start to look at the chapter and say, it's only that chapter that we look at. So what we need to do is see what went before And what's interesting is what happened before this. You see, Paul has been writing to the Ephesians. And he talks about the role of that church. And he uses an example that that church would understand. And in fact, I spoke about this last time I was here. You see, that church in Ephesus, they had a temple in Ephesus that was very well known. In fact, it was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. And it had these incredible pillars absolutely huge, everybody knew these amazing pillars beautifully clean, straight and smooth and they, the pillars had this huge stone bases that they stood upon and Paul says to Timothy, he says look the church has a role to play you are to be the pillar and foundation of the truth, meaning of the gospel so this is at the end of chapter 3 Says, I'm, if I'm delayed, sorry, although I hope to come to you soon, I'm writing you these instructions so that if I'm delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar, foundation of the truth. The church, how people ought to conduct themselves. Each and every person in that congregation has a role to play. Each and every person in Ephesus has a role to play, and that role is this they are to be the pillar. They are to hold up the gospel so it's seen, and the foundation. They are to keep it firm and straight and true. And then Paul says, now let's talk about the teaching. Do you see how it links together? Paul effectively turns around and says, you in the church, everybody... Not the eldership, not the diaconate, not the minister, not the leaders. Everybody in that church, if you are a believing Christian, has a role to play in ensuring that the gospel is held up straight, true and seen. And now, let's talk about the teaching. Because your teaching isn't helping. Not all of it. I'm sure some of the teaching at Ephesus was great. But some of it wasn't. And Paul says to Timothy, you need to tell that congregation that each and every one of them needs to be looking at the teaching that's happening and saying, is this pulling people towards God or driving them away? Is it helping or is it hindering? Okay, second question. Is what happened to that church in Ephesus relevant to our own churches today? I suppose, firstly, you could just say no. Paul uses two examples. He talks about marriage. He talks about food being forbidden. As far as I'm aware, it's very unlikely that a, a young couple will come into a church and say, we're thinking of getting married, and the minister would just go, no. No, I'm sorry, marriage. We don't encourage marriage of any type whatsoever. No marriage, please. It's not a good idea. We don't ban certain foods. I, I'm hoping one day to come across a church that bans Brussels sprouts and says we're not allowed to eat them. <laughs> I don't think that's going to happen. So on a simple level, you can look and say, no, we're not like that. Let me ask you this. Do we have churches in our land where God's gospel is diluted down so it doesn't offend people? Do we have churches in our land where we say, you know what, we better not talk about judgment or questions like that because people may get upset. Do we have speakers who can spend 25 minutes talking and yet say nothing that we can pick up on and apply into our lives? Sadly, when I look back on my own experiences of going to churches, I can see that that is the case. We have a duty, if we are Christian believers, to say... God's gospel should be held up, firm and true, so that everybody can see it and that it's preached correctly and right. And that's a duty not just on those who are actually doing the talking, but on everybody in the congregation. And that's where it starts to get hard. We have our very British attitude that says, I shouldn't really complain. I shouldn't really moan. If somebody says something that I don't understand, then surely the fault is with me. And yet what Paul is writing to Timothy is this. He says, look, if you don't understand, if it's not clear, then go and ask. Challenge the speakers. Challenge the teachers. Whether it's someone standing here, whether it's somebody in Sunday school, whether it's somebody leading a Bible study, it should be clear and understandable. The speakers should be receiving feedback so that what they do holds up the gospel and makes it clear and understandable. My father-in-law told me a wonderful line once. He's a preacher himself and he said, "Uh, heresy has slain its thousands, boredom its tens of thousands. How important is the gospel to us that it's heard? How vital is it that this wonderful message that we sing for joy about, how important is it to us that that gospel is heard? Because that's the measure of where our hearts are. I would love it that my church in Caterham, that when somebody comes to preach at that church in Caterham, that they get an appointment and They say, oh, I've been asked to preach there, that other people go, oh, Caterham, you'll really need to do your work there, won't you? They ask such good questions. Wouldn't it be great if every church challenged its speakers and said, explain to me what you meant there. Let me understand. Let me learn. Because it is the measure of how important we treat God's word. I first started giving talks by doing youth work. And I remember going to speak at Colwyn Bay. It was a youth camp, probably about 150 teenagers, they would have the talks given by the leaders. It was one of the most terrifying experiences in my life. Because the rule was this, if you gave a talk at a meeting the next morning, you would go to the leaders' meeting. In the leaders' meeting, the dorm leaders would then sit in front of all of the other leaders, in front of your peer group and would tell you exactly what their dormitory thought of your talk. Following that, you would then go for a walk with the leader of the camp, who would calm you down, (laughs) and take you through your talk himself. There were people that said, I'm happy to do the talk. I don't want the aftermath. The leadership very wisely turned around and said, If you speak at our camp, you need to have the aftermath. You need to have the feedback. Because we take God's word seriously. When I originally planned out this passage, I I finished it at verse 8 and I was rightly pointed out. Actually, verses 9 and 10 carry it on beautifully. This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. For this we labour and strive. For we have put our hope in the living God, the saviour of all men, and especially those who believe. This is our hope. This is what we must ensure is kept true and straight and preached. And he says, we labour and strive. It means on each and every one of us, there is a duty placed to ensure that God's gospel is held up, is seen and kept straight and true. Amen.